0: walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh that seems a pretty confident word walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh verse 17 for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would so that ye cannot do the things that ye would this morning for a little while i'm a little bit more in a teaching mode here this morning but for a little while i'd like to teach this just one word and that is rivals right everybody likes a good rival right a good rivalry whether it be sports or something else rivals i to talk to you today about rivals and uh, our rivals, of course, today is the flesh against the spirit. The spirit against the flesh. God, I'm asking today, God, for your help in the next few moments that we could, Lord, share something today that may be beneficial, Lord, to these people. I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, let your Holy Ghost touch us anew and afresh, God, in this service. We need, Lord Jesus, your guidance. We need, Lord Jesus, your leading and your direction today. I know, God, that you're able to help us this morning. God, I'm depending upon you. God, depending, God, upon Jesus. God, the power, God, of your word, even your spoken word today. God, to do a work, Lord, among us. And I not fail, Lord, to thank you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen of the church. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Rivals. If you allow me today, I would like to define the word rival. Uh, the dictionary.com told me that rival means a person, and I kind of included this for our purposes today, a person or thing that is competing for the same object or goal as another or who tries to equal or outdo another simply put a competitor a competitor rivalries are all across in the landscape of our society all across i've already made mention there are rivalries among sports teams that perhaps some are acquainted with and others are not i would be probably more so along the others that are not but nevertheless i know they exist because of my wife and so there's rivalries all across uh, sports uh, teams there are rivalries that are in businesses, among businesses. As a matter of fact, that, that 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 is very healthy. Healthy rivalries among businesses that uh, as a result of them, they may help drive the cost of certain products down because of rivalries in business. Or as a result of those rivalries, it may spawn some some inventiveness if you will for new items or new products that come to the surface which in turn may benefit us as consumers or benefit us as a society. Again a good sports rivalry makes for a very dynamic game you know you're on pins and needles as they tell me and it keeps the fans enthused and even possibly if you're talking about my wife a little anxious about what's going to happen or what's going to take place i mean who who doesn't like walking away with bragging rights whenever it's all said and done right rivalries some rivalries have lasted for generations we look back through the landscape of the history of america in businesses and otherwise and some rivalries have lasted for generations they're very deeply seated in the people Uh, For instance, so you know what I'm talking about, certain rivalries that have lasted for a long time. Consider Coca-Cola and Pepsi. Rivalries that has happened for a long time. I'll say this and you tell me if you know the rivalry. Ford and Chevy or GMC type of products, right? That has been around for decades. How about, now this is an old one, might not be so much anymore, but used to Nike and Reebok. I heard it out there. Reebok, of course, Adidas bought out Reebok, but the rivalry that took place there—Microsoft and Apple, or even you could go to the people on them, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs—a little rivalry going on there. And so, these some of these things have lasted for generations. For instance, Coke and Pepsi, uh, Coke and Pepsi—they have divided restaurants, huh? Because what do you ask sometimes when you sit down if you don't know? Do you serve Coke products, right? Or Pepsi products they have divided restaurants they've at times even divided stadiums that the only certain type of products have been allowed because they kind of got a monopoly and they don't don't allow the contracts are signed they don't allow another one uh, that are in there and so uh, you have these coke and these Pepsi products Uh, even during the depression both both Pepsi and coke cost one nickel don't you wish we was back then cost one nickel to purchase but Pepsi came in a 12 ounce bottle, which was nearly twice the size of Coca-Cola. So they kind of had the upper hand. It was a rivalry What are they trying to do. You get more for your nickel. When they say now you get more for your buck or more for your five bucks, <laughs> but you got more bang for your nickel. And there was even an era uh, whenever Coca-Cola didn't like to call Pepsi by its name. They wouldn't mention their name. They would call Pepsi the imitator because Coca-Cola came first. Or they would call them the enemy. Or sometimes they'd be generous and just call them the competitor. It's a rivalry. Ford and General Motors, rivalry. They've been at it for over 100 years. 1903, I believe, the Model T Ford came out. About nine years later, GM started its thing. They've had a rivalry ever since. For over 100 years, they'd have a rivalry. And you talk about it being thick. Their headquarters are only 11 and a half miles apart. Yeah. Only 11 and a half miles apart. And so they have been com- competitors on dealer lots, in motorsports, NASCAR, things like that. You know, they have this Ford, this is GM, you know, whoever wins. yeah, That's because that's the better vehicle, our engines, and all that stuff, rivalries that have taken place. Nike and Reebok. How many ever owned a pair of Nikes? Okay. What about Reebok? Do you remember the ones you used to pump up? Oh, Yeah. I got you right there on the second view. Hey Amen. Rivalries between these two. For over 30 years, they've been rivalries. And Nike really took a, a, a headway, got very inventive whenever they signed on a man by the name of Michael Jordan, who was a very iconic, very iconic athlete, signed him up to be the wearer of. Air Jordans, which were Nike brands. As a matter of fact, they would make $1 billion in sales annually off of Air Jordans. So they really skyrocketed. It was a rivalry. And since they did that, guess what Reebok did? They signed up Shaquille O'Neal. To wear all their garb of, of, of Reebok. And then they were just competing back and forth. It was so serious. Is everybody okay? I know this is a little history. It was so serious that whenever the Dream Team in 92, the basketball team, went to the Olympics from the USA. And Michael Jordan, of course, he's the Nike, you know, representative. The outfits, the jumpsuits that they wore were sponsored by Reebok. And so whenever they won, Jordan takes the American flag and kind of cloaks himself in it because he didn't want the pictures in the video to be showing him in the jumpsuit that was sponsored by Reebok when he was a Nike man. Rivalries. Someone say rivalries. And that may seem absurd, and it's very serious. You start to ask people about if they're a Green Bay Packers fan or the rival team. Cowboys, yeah, I was waiting for it. I know we got some people out here, and people are serious about this stuff. About which side they are on, who they are rooting for, who is better, who has the better team, who has the better players, who has the better colors. All of this stuff, yet there is another rivalry in our lives this morning that far supersedes those of business, those of sports, Those of any other thing, McDonald's, Wendy's and Burger King uh, supersedes all of that. And that is the rivalry in our life of the flesh and the spirit. Someone say amen. The flesh and the spirit. I'd like to read my scripture text again, if you'll allow me. But I'd like to read it from the Amplified Bible this morning. The Bible says in Galatians 5.16, but I say walk and live habitually. In the Holy Spirit, responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit, then you will certainly not gratify the cravings and desires of the flesh, which is the human nature, without God. For the desires of the flesh are opposed to the Holy Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are opposed to the flesh. Godless human nature. For these are antagonistic to each other. Continually withstanding and in conflict with each other. So that you are not free, but are prevented from doing what you desire to do. Can someone say amen? In Galatians 16, it told us very plainly, and it seemed plain. It seems very plain. That if you walk after the Spirit, that you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But then it starts in verse 17 with that strong word for, which means as a reason for. It's like bringing something to a a climax. It's a because. It has a lot of force in it. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. There is a, a contending, if you will, a rivalry between the flesh and the spirit. Now, when we talk about the flesh in verse number 17, we are not necessarily talking about your literal meat on your bones, okay? That's not what's being referenced here in verse number 17, the literal meat on your bones. But when it speaks of flesh in verse number 17, it is speaking of that part of man would be the sensuous nature of man or that part of man that that is apart or away from the divine nature of god it is as the amplified bible states it it's the human nature without god it's the human nature without god it's what solomon wrote of in the book of ecclesiastes his life his nature apart from god life under the sun giving no regard no consideration no inkling of a mindset toward god that's the flesh That is being spoken of in verse number 17. Meaning that our human nature is constantly warring if you have it or have received it, a spiritual nature. There is a warring there. The Apostle Paul even alluded to this in Romans 7. He talked about there is a law of the spirit and there is a law of my mind there are some things that seem to be at war he said within me he said there's sometimes there's some things i the things that i should do i do not do and the things that i shouldn't be doing those are the things it seems like I do. And he, he comes to a conclusion. There is a war then seemingly in my members. And that war that Paul was really laying a thumb on is the rivalry between the human nature and the nature of the spirit that he had. There was a rivalry that was constantly worn back and forth. And there's no one sitting here today that is exempt from that. No one is exempt from the rivalry of the flesh and the spirit in your life. And here, and I'm not being a bearer of bad news, but let's just plug into reality this morning. It's not going away any time while you're living upon this earth. It's not going away. There is not going to be a day that through the spirit you get an upper hand on the flesh and you're never going to have to worry about any more competition. Amen. Amen. Uh, If you were to look at anybody in this place and say, yeah, well, they finally reached that climax, that place, they got it all together. They don't have to worry about the things I worry about. Listen, you are wrong. You're wrong. Nobody has an upper edge on this. There is that battle. There is that war in every single one of us. And it's kind of like this each day or each moment. You just got to decide who is going to be master in that scenario who you're going to submit to and obey in that scenario, And that's the reason why verse 16 said, if you walk in the spirit, he said, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh because the reality of the matter is this. You cannot walk both directions at the same time. The reality of the matter is this. I know we have the terminology straddling the fence, but there really isn't no such thing as that. There really isn't no such thing as that. Because God is so jealous that he's either going to have all of you or none of you. Amen. He is a jealous God. So there really isn't anything such as straddling the fence. The Bible bears out this this struggle between the flesh and the spirit, even through an Old Testament lens in Galatians chapter number 4. In Galatians 4 and verse number 29, this is what the scripture says. But as then he that was born after the flesh, what it's referring to is Ishmael, the son of Abraham and Hagar. Hagar, amen, was Abraham's wife's handmaiden. And she gave birth to Ishmael. He was the son that was of their own invention, so to speak. And then it says that son then, That son then that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, which relates to Isaac, amen, which was born from Abraham and Sarah. He was the promised child. He's the one that the covenant that God was going to make through him and by him. And so that which was born of human invention, something that they came up with, a man was going to be persecuting and warring against something that God had come up with, amen, which was Isaac. And he says, so this is going to happen. He says, the flesh is going to persecute him that was born after the Spirit. And he states, even so is it now. As that all played out in the Old Testament between Isaac and Ishmael, that's playing out within our real lives between the flesh and the Spirit. Because the Bible says back in Genesis that the day that Isaac was born, that Ishmael, the child that was of Abraham and Sarah's and Hagar's own invention, because it wasn't the promised seed, that child, the Bible says, the day that Isaac was born, which was after the promise, mocked Isaac. The day Isaac was born, Ishmael mocked him. What do you have going on here? Rivalry. Rivalry. Insomuch. In so much that Sarah picks up on it, she tells Abraham, we need to throw out the bondwoman, speaking of Hagar, and her son. Why? Because she seemed there was some mockery, there was some competition between that which was born first and that which was born second. What was born first in your life? You had a natural physical birth, didn't you? I hope so. (laughs) You did. Okay, I'll just clear it for you. You did. But your second birth, Being born of the spirit. And so see it's the same thing that was mirrored in the Old Testament. Here's Ishmael that was born first. He's born after Isaac which was born second. And so you have even so is it now as Galatians says. We had that which was born first. Our flesh. Warring after that which is born second. Or you've been born again by the spirit. It's warring after that spiritual aspect of you. As it was then, even so is it now. And folks, if it hadn't changed since Genesis to Galatians, it's not going to change from Galatians until the time we see Jesus. There's always going to be a struggle. Let me tell you something. The concept and the idea and realizing that there is a struggle isn't necessarily bad. Huh? Realizing that there is a struggle isn't necessarily bad. That means that there must be something in your life concerning the spirit. There must be some aspect in your life that the flesh feels like it has to compete with. Huh? If there wasn't that aspect in your life, it would have no reason for competition. Huh? You remove remove the competitor. What's the point of a competition? You have to have a competitor for a competition. If there's a competition of a struggle going on in your life, that should bring you a little bit of hope because that means there's something there to compete with. Come on, Come on. Yeah. So there's there's an allegory here. It's speaking that that story there was speaking of a spiritual truth. And here's something amazing, amazing to me even in the book of Genesis. God through the telescope of time knew. He knew from the very beginning. That there was going to be this war, this struggle, this rivalry in man. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 3 this morning And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Now, the Lord, we must understand the context in which this is spoken in Genesis chapter 6. This is spoken during a time, during a time when the Genesis 6 starts out and talks about how the sons of God saw the daughters of men and they intermingled with them. They, they, they married them. They joined themselves to them. Now, let's. I want to just cut something real quick the 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 sons of God seeing the daughters of men are not that there were angelic beings came down had relationships with natural men and then there was something born from that okay if that's the way you've been taught you have been taught wrong the sons of God whenever you look in the early family concerning Cain Abel and then Seth the one that replaced Abel the Bible speaks concerning the line of Seth all of them being the sons of God it's those that still had the influence of the Lord in their life unlike Cain who the Bible says left the presence of the Lord. He abandoned the very presence of the Lord, amen, and went his own way to root out his own work. It was that there were then two dividing lines of humanity from the very start. Those who were sons of God or had an inclination more toward the things of God and another aspect that were of the sons of man that had an inclination more towards just the human fleshly side of their nature. And so when it speaks about the sons of God intermingling with the daughters of man, it's just basically talking about two people, one inclined to God, one not inclined to God, coming together. All right? Amen? For today's purpose is something that we would call unequally yoked. Alright? And so that was happening then right here, right here, right before the days of Noah. God is seeing this and considering this. Not only that the Bible says in this same setting of Genesis chapter 6 that God is taking in this whole panorama of mankind and he sees that man is wicked. Man is wicked and that he has been, his, his wickedness and evil is very great and that it's been with him from the very beginning and it's in all of that that God says then my spirit Will not always strive with man, for he also is flesh. You know what he's saying? My spirit has a competitor. It is flesh. The word strive here in Genesis 6-3 isn't just a word talking about fighting or contending. It also means govern. That's important. That's important. What God is saying, my spirit shall not always govern man. Because he's also flesh. He's also flesh. So God, looking through the telescope of time, he reveals here the tendency of our human nature, the tendency of our flesh, and that is this. It doesn't always allow itself to be governed by the Spirit of God. Mm -hmm. Because to govern something is to be the Lord over something. To govern something is to be the master over something. And flesh doesn't always like to be a a subject. There's times it likes to be the master. God says, so my spirit won't always govern man because man also is flesh. And basically what God was saying in Genesis is what the Apostle Paul has already told us in our scripture reading in Galatians. The spirit and the flesh then are contrary one to the other. Can someone say, amen. This is a real struggle we deal with today. You know it. Some weeks are worse than others. Some days are worse than others. Some moments, locations and places. For the competition are worse than others. It can get quite severe. It can get so severe that the Bible states over in First Corinthians five and five: look how severe this can get. And how how you're gonna have it up there, you do, and I'm I'm just getting it here in my Bible because sometimes I like the whole context of the scripture laying before me. First Corinthians five and five. Here's how severe. It can get, and I, I'm going to start in verse 1. You can leave that there unless you want to go to verse 1. The Bible says, Paul says, speaking to the church at Corinth, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles. Now, it's just not speaking about fornication in general, but it's saying the type of fornication that's taking place among the church is even surpassing what's even taken place among the pagans. Wow. And here's what he says. It's not even so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. So we have a son committing fornication with his mama. Incest. That seems to be out of our minds, but it happens today. And he says, and you are puffed up and have not mourned. And he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Let me go on down to verse number five where I'm at now. This is what's Paul's recommendation then to the church at Corinth. He says, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of, look at it, the flesh, that the spirit may be, what? Saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Here's what Paul's saying. The, 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 The rivalry between the flesh and the spirit can be so severe sometimes that you need to deliver up the individual. To the powers of the devil. I know this is, this is, I'm not, it's the word. He says, for the destruction of their flesh. Look at this. I believe this confidently. I believe this is a premise for, I believe this confidently. There are some people that have went through very hardships concerning physical bodies sometimes. Are you listening to me? For the destruction of their flesh. So that their soul could be saved. Because they were not good, they were not good of evening out the flesh and the spirit battle in their life unless something was afflicting their flesh. Because some a lot of times when people's flesh is afflicted, they cry out. And so Paul's saying, you deliver him so his flesh can be destroyed. So that in the end of time, hopefully his soul will be saved. Hopefully, they'll win out with the spirit being the governor, being the master. So this rivalry is so severe. Paul says if we need be, we need to allow the flesh to be destroyed so that the spirit can have the upper hand in the day when it matters the return of the Lord. We are in a real battle. There's a real war that's taking place and God through Paul said this thing is so important about who comes out on top that will subject the flesh to destruction so that that person might be saved rivalry we see the same thing in the garden of Gethsemane right the garden of Gethsemane Jesus in body form in the flesh that was birth of a woman huh? he was flesh and he was divine Jesus Christ Flesh and divine, spirit and flesh in the garden. He's there. He has three disciples. He takes a little further with him. Then he leaves them and he goes still yet a little further. He begins to pray. His flesh is crying out to the spirit. And he says, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. That was the flesh crying out. But then the spirit whelmed up inside of him. Nevertheless, not my will. But thy will be done. What was that? War. War. The flesh don't want to die. The flesh don't want to give up. The flesh doesn't want to be the follower. The flesh doesn't want to do what the spirit wants done. But even Christ in that moment showing his humanity for a pattern for ourselves. Says hey in the garden there was a war. I'm saying if it, you don't let it pass. But not my will thine be done. He said spirit you're going to have to rise up in me. There's, you hear me? So if Jesus Christ had that struggle within his flesh, you're going to have it in yours. Right? Now look what he said, though, in Matthew 26, 41. After he went through this little scenario and he returns back to his disciples, which are sleeping, all right, he says, watch and pray. That ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is Week. I, I want to. This is very simple, but it can be very helpful at the same time. And this is that, from what I gather, just from the scripture, and there, it's in the harmony of the Gospels and Mark and such as well. But what I gather from the scripture is, is that temptation is inevitable if they didn't watch and pray. It's going to take place. It's going to happen. It's inevitable for sure if you're not watching and pray. That's just a little commercial for watching and praying. Temptation is inevitable if you're not watching and praying. Because you know what happens when you make your flesh watch and you make your flesh pray? Man, it stokes a fire in your spirit to want to sustain that. Amen. Stokes of fire in your spirit to want to sustain that. Now here's something very interesting this morning uh, to me. You will not operate in the spirit without the participation of the flesh. You will not operate in the spirit without the participation of the flesh. Because when I pray or when I'm involved in those things, this oh flesh has to get involved. My mouth, my lips, my voice. Someone say amen. Oh, I want you to know it doesn't like to be in that position. It don't like to be in that position. But it does. It happens that way. Whenever we go in the spirit, then, you know, if someone say, well, bless God, you shouldn't run around the church unless you're in the spirit. Well, let me tell you something. You're in the spirit and you're in the flesh when you run around the church because you cannot do something in the spirit without your flesh having to participate. Oh, they're raising their hands. My God, they're in the flesh. I'm in the spirit. I felt compelled by the Holy Ghost to raise my hand. But it just showed that at that moment my spirit was governing. Spirit goes, whoop, flesh says, I gotta participate. Because at that moment I've made the spirit the master and the flesh the servant. Look at this. Job chapter number four. Job chapter number four, and I, I got several scriptures here this morning, and I'll probably have some reading and such, but that's okay. Job chapter number four and verse 15. Look at it now. This, 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 this is one of Job's friends. He's telling what he's seeing. He, it was in a vision of the night that this all came about. And the very next verse kind of lends to us that the spirit that passed by, because he couldn't really see the form, the Bible says, that evidently it was God or something that was associated with God because it started talking then about, you know, the creator. Go and show verse 16 real quick so I don't have to try to go from memory here. Yeah, it stood, and I could not discern the form thereof. Uh, 17, go on 17. I want to see where it's at. Because mm-hmm. this is the question that the Spirit asked: shall mortal man be more just than God? And so this is evidently not some type of negative spirit or bad spirit. But nevertheless, this is what the Bible says in Job 4.15, that that spirit, then a spirit passed before my face, the hair of my flesh stood up. A spirit passed, and the hair of the flesh stood up. Now, that tells me that our flesh responds to the supernatural, the spiritual, whether it be positive or negative. That is true. That is true. It, true. The spirit went, the flesh responded. And in this instance, it was a positive thing. It was some type of spirit of God or maybe God himself in some manifestation. But nevertheless, the spirit went and the flesh responded. Amen. And involuntary response I mean it's kind of it's like in the scenario if you want to look at the negative aspect you could look at the aspect of the man of the Gadarenes who had all of this demonic possession in his life right? Had all this bad spiritual thing going on in his life and he's cutting himself the flesh is responding to a negative spiritual influence All right, and then he's naked and and he's not in his right mind. Yet again, the flesh responds then when he's delivered and there's a different spirit. The spirit of the Lord comes. He's sitting down. He's clothed and he's in his right mind. So the flesh does respond to spiritual markers and influences whether they be positive or negative. I guess in that case then is this. Your flesh is responding to something spiritual. But what is it responding to? Is it a positive spiritual influence or a negative spiritual influence? Now, look at this, though. I want you to look at something else. Second Corinthians seven and verse number one. So we operate in the spirit of times and it does involve the flesh. And so the flesh then does respond to spiritual things. But here's something else I want you to understand, because the here's the rivalry. Here's the competition. So so the spirit can involve the flesh. The spirit then, the the, the flesh has to respond then to the spiritual impulses. But here's something else. This is kind of like the counter agent for the flesh. The flesh can put the spirit in compromising positions. Mm. Second Corinthians 7 and 1. Having therefore these promises... Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. In the last verses of chapter 6 of this same chapter, he's talking about how light and darkness don't mix. Righteousness and unrighteousness don't mix. uh, How you cannot be uh, with the agreement of the temple of God and that of idols as well. Uh, how these things just don 't mix and they don 't muddle, and then he speaks to us about how the Lord will receive you, and the Lord will be a father unto you, and you 'll be as sons and daughters to him. You have all these problems, all these promises, rather, if you separate and not touch these things, you have all these promises, and so those are the promises that he 's referring to in seven one, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and Spirit. Because some allegiances that you make with your flesh are places of compromise then for your spirit. And here's what I mean. So so filthiness isn't just acquainted with flesh. It can also be acquainted with the spirit. How did that apply here in these verses or the verses prior to verse number one of chapter seven? Because whenever we look at them agreeing with Idols and look at them being with darkness and unrighteousness, all these other things, Belial rather than Christ, all this had to concern their worship. Someone say worship. All of these things concerned their worship. You can, the flesh can get you in a compromising place that your spirit then worships something that it should not be worshiping. Amen. You know, even when we talk about temptation, sometimes temptation sometimes will happen in places more so than other places, because those other places are compromising positions that you put your spirit in. It, it, it would not be wisdom for the former alcoholic to hang around the bar. It would, not be, it would not be permissible for any, but particularly for the man who used to seek out prostitutes to hang around her corner. Huh? Because your flesh can put your spirit in compromising positions. Someone say amen. And so that is the case. We got this rivalry. We got this war. Now here's the thing, folks. How many wants to finish well? Hmm? I'm going to finish with. Galatians 3 and 3 says this. The Bible states these words. Brother Zach, you throw that there. Paul's speaking to Galatians. He says, are ye so foolish? Question mark. Having begun in the spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Question mark. In other words, Paul's saying, do you really believe? <laughs> The flesh can complete what the spirit started. Hmm. In other words, to finish successfully in the end. If you started well with the spirit is to end well by the spirit. Someone say amen. In other words, if you're going to finish well, you start well and you finish well. We start off on this journey. Having received the power of the Holy Ghost. We're walking in newness of life. We're allowing the spirit to govern. We're allowing the spirit to be master. We walk in tandem like that, but sometimes we don't watch it because of the rivalry and the struggle. We'll shift gears, and we think that we're going to be able to finish well in the flesh whenever God started a new work of the spirit in us. The writer is saying, if you've begun in the spirit, you can't be made mature. You can't come to completion by ending in the flesh. Amen. cannot happen. You got to finish the way that you started. Now that isn't to say along the journey. You listening to me? That's not to say along in this race. There's times that the flesh is in front, huh? Are you hearing me? A lot of people been watching the Olympics here lately, right? Y'all, some of y'all been watching the Olympics. Uh, You that cross country? You seen that cross country guy that fell in the race and then he went by X number of individuals and ended up finishing way up front? You've seen that more than one time through all this stuff. You know what it means. You can start out in front, but it doesn't mean that throughout the journey there's times you're behind and there's times you're front and there's times you're right beside. But what it's saying is this: Whenever the finish line comes, you need to make sure you're still in front. Said so you'd start this race with the flesh, with the spirit being out front, and there might be times the flesh gets upside the upside the spirit. There might be times the flesh is governing the spirit, but whenever it comes D day, whenever it comes to the end, the flesh needs to be crossing over the line, being the master, the Lord, the governor of your. be the governor of your life now this is the way that Jesus explained it to Nicodemus in John 3 and 6 he says you got to be born again no I'm not talking about entering a second time in your mother's womb that still be flesh you got to be born again and this is the reason why he said that which is born of the flesh put it back up there please That which is born of the flesh is flesh, right? And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. What are you saying here, Jesus? He said, Nicodemus, I'm telling you, even from Genesis, even from Genesis, everything produces after its kind. Everything produces after its kind. A frog produces a frog. A robin produces a robin. A bear produces a bear. Everything produces after its kind. Flesh produces flesh. Spirit then produces spirit. In other words, you can't get get spiritual things out of the flesh. You You can't. You can't live in the flesh and produce something spiritual. Let me say it like this. You can't live and walk after the flesh and make heaven your home. Flesh produces flesh and spirit produces spirit. He goes a little further in John 6. In John 6.63. He's talking to them about the old time man and the old testament. He said that was great for its day. He says, But in this day I am the bread of life unto you. And what he speaks to them in John 6.63 is this He says, It is the spirit that quickeneth. Now he really lays the cards down as they fall. And the flesh profiteth nothing. Everybody say wow. Wow. Wow, It profiteth nothing. Because whenever you die, that flesh is going back to the ground. someone hear me? It's going back into the ground. But the spirit is going back to God. Who gave it? that's the reason sometimes whenever we stand at a casket at our funeral even loved ones that person sometimes say well I know this is just a shell they're not really here it, buy because that thing's going to go back to the ground it's going to go back to the dust from which it came in reality it profiteth nothing but the quickening the quickening the quickening that comes someday it will be by the spirit and if that's the case that's the thing I want to give my allegiance to that's the thing I want to bow my flesh to That which profiteth something. Someone say amen. Paul even said that in my flesh. There is no good. Said there is no good thing. That is in my. Flesh. So the advantage of the spirit is it quickens. The disadvantage of the flesh is that it profits in reality. Nothing. In the grand scheme. Of spiritual things. Now. I'm going to hasten here, hasten to a close. Brother Mason, you can go and come to the music, if you will. And I want to read to you from the word of the Lord. And I'm going to do a little bit of a lengthy reading here. But I want to read from the word of the Lord of Romans 8. Is this okay? Everybody like a good Bible reading? Yep, I do. The word is powerful all by itself. Amen. If I just got up here and read the word, it would be good all by itself. And so I want to read several verses. And I'm reading it from the Amplified Bible just because I like the other, the other meanings that it draws out. It draws out some of the Greek meanings of the words. That's kind of like what an Amplified Bible does. It gives meaning to some of the words that are in scriptures in the Greek and the Hebrew. And so I just want to read it. And you just follow along this spirit and this flesh stuff. I'm going to read in Romans 8. And I'm going to start with verse number 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no judging guilty of wrong for those who are in Christ Jesus, who live and walk not after the dictates of the flesh, but after the dictates of the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, the law of our new being, has freed me from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law could not do, its power being weakened by the flesh, the entire nature of man without the Holy Spirit. That's what it's calling the flesh, the entire nature of man without the Holy Spirit. Sending his own son in the guise of sinful flesh, And as an offering for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh. He subdued it, overcame it, deprived it of its power over all who accept that sacrifice so that the righteousness and just requirement of the law might be fully met in us who live and move not in the ways of the flesh but in the ways of the spirit. So he's saying there was an Old Testament law Man could never fulfill it and even now we don't fulfill it by living after the ways of the flesh but by living after the ways of the Spirit. Our lives are governed not by the standards and according to the dictates of the flesh but are controlled by the Holy Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh are controlled by its unholy desires, set their minds on and pursue those things which gratify the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit and are controlled by the desires of the Spirit. Set their minds on and seek those things which gratify the Holy Spirit. Now the mind of the flesh which is sense and reason without the Holy Spirit is death. Death that comprises all the miseries arising from sin both here and hereafter. But the mind of the Holy Spirit is life. And so peace both now and forever. That is because the mind of the flesh with its carnal thoughts and purposes is hostile to God for it does not submit itself to God's law and indeed it cannot. So then those things who are living the life of the flesh catering to the appetites and impulses of their carnal nature cannot please or satisfy God or be acceptable to Him. But you are not living the life of the flesh. You are living the life. Of the spirit. If. The spirit. If the Holy Spirit of God. Really. Dwells. In you. Directs and controls. You. But if anyone does not possess the Holy Spirit of Christ. He is none of his. He does not belong to Christ. And is not truly a child of God. But if Christ lives in you. Then although your natural body is dead. By reason of sin and guilt. The spirit. The spirit there's that quickening power, is alive because of the righteousness that he imputes to you. And if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, then he who raised up Christ Jesus from the dead will also restore to life your mortal, short-lived, perishable bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are debtors, but not to the flesh. You know what that says? You don't owe the flesh anything. We owe something, but you don't owe your flesh a thing. We are debtors, but not to the flesh. We are not obligated to our carnal nature to live a life ruled by the standards set up by the dictates of the flesh. For if you live according to the dictates of the flesh, you will surely die. But if you through the power of the Holy Spirit are habitually putting to death, making extinct, deadening, The evil deeds prompted by the body. You shall really and genuinely live forever. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If you understand with me. For all who are led by the Spirit of God. I'm going to be led by the Spirit of God. I just read this this morning. I think it put that in very good perspective. Those that are led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God leading is not like the pace car on the Daytona 500, but like a locomotive that's on a track. Because the leading of the pace car is this. Others, by their own ingenuity and strength, have to follow. But whenever there are other cars that are being led by a locomotive, they are being pulled along by the power of the locomotive. You understand the difference? And so we want to be led by the Spirit. Not that we're following in our own strength, but we're being pulled along by the power that comes from Him. Rivalries today the flesh and the Spirit. It's not going to disappear. You'll face them still yet today, and the competition will be going on tomorrow. But we got to walk, we got to live, we got to let the Spirit be the governor. Let it be the master. Submit ourselves, even this old flesh, to that. So that hopefully in the end of time, we cross the finish line. We finish in the spirit. What we've started in the spirit. Contention along the way? More than likely. Who's being master and slave switching along the way? More than likely. But hopefully when we finish, we're finishing spirit strong. Spirit strong. We bow our heads in this place today. Father, we come before you. God, we need you. O Lord. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.